over the past couple of weeks, this interview that was coming up and that uh, I did, and and this is going to be an epic interview. So I want to really warn our audience that uh, you know it's going to be kind of an intense conversation. And yeah, yeah, we should slap a warning label on this. You know, this is um, not for the faint of heart. No. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, what's the rating? It's like, um, you know, yeah. PG. I mean, it's not a movie, so I mean. Exhausting. PG exhausting, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah, so this is emotionally heavy. How about that? E, E-H, rating of emotionally heavy. This is a, uh, an amazing interview. Uh, very moving. Uh, so be prepared. That's that's it right there. Yeah, and uh, it's with an artist named Essence, and I'm not even gonna really give away the story because you'll be hearing it in the interview. It's going to be uh, like like Ian said, pretty pretty moving. Um, but we get to he- uh, learn a lot about her and her uh, solo career as well, um, outside of her work with Bernie, who you'll get to hear about. Um, so that's coming up. Also, uh, went to a concert that, such a fun concert. Um, we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but it was um, a band that I really like um, called Sylvanesso, and uh, they performed with uh, Kamasi Washington opening for them at the Greek Theater in Berkeley. So, um, really fun show. We'll talk about that later after uh, Essence. Before we get into all that, Jens, I understand you. You took another trip. This is the I did. third week in I a row. Did. We have a trip story from you. So it was sort of a trilogy of trips. Yeah, that kind of all happened uh, a bit last minute. And um, right, so I was up in Seattle where my dad has retired, um, and uh, he lives in this uh, retirement uh, community uh, on the. Um, uh, on the waterfront uh, of Lake Washington. And um, I try to visit him, you know, several times a year. And sometimes I get really lucky with getting, you know, cheap tickets, uh, you know, flights up there. It's about a two-hour flight. And sometimes, you know, they're a little bit more expensive. But I, you know, I go when I can. Um, and I, you know, when, you know, people have different relationships with their parents, right? This is true. And yes. This is true. Right. This is very, very, very true. Depending on what your family dynamics are, um, you know, over time you kind of learn how much you can tolerate them. Oh, I, so, I learned that very early on, uh, actually. So. Very early on. Yeah. 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 So, I, so, so if you're like Steve, you figure that out right away. If you're like me, it takes you many, many, many more years to figure that out. Um, so I think with me, Steve, is that I just had to find out what my limit was. I had to you know, face reality and say, you know what? I can't spend a whole week or two weeks or, you know, do like a vacation with my parents because oh no i can't i can't no nope yeah so i've got this like three day thing i suck at math so 24 times three what uh say 72 yeah 72 hours yes 70 so i can handle about 72 hours after that i go ape shit (laughs) yeah i'm gonna go hide in the closet and you know put my noise canceling earphones on (laughs) (laughs) because I just can't anymore. Um, so yeah, I've got several uh, things to, to, you know, kind of talk about, um, with my trip. So, so, 
for the first time ever, I realized that uh, my parents remind me of George Costanza's parents in Seinfeld. Oh, really? No. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So for those of you that are familiar, familiar with that show, uh, there are some episodes where you get a really good taste sure. for how nuts his parents are. George's, right? George's dad he, was Jerry Stiller, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Ben's Ben's dad. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, so they have these arguments. They go back and forth and back and forth and argue about the most ridiculous stuff. Like, I couldn't, I don't think I could even be that creative to make up things like that to argue about. Right? And they're very passionate about their arguing. Um, and I felt for the first time ever that my parents have turned into George Costanza's parents. You know, not just in the and the amount of, um, you know, arguing they do, but sort of in the intensity and, you know, it's just so trivial. It's like so crazy trivial. So here I am wondering why I have a headache. And it's like, it's because I've been listening to these two people argue about the most ridiculous stuff. Like, can't you use your energy for something a little bit more exciting? Yeah, I mean that is that that is their excitement at this point, right? I mean, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's like, ooh, what are we gonna argue about? Let's argue about something. Yeah, like, ooh, it's gonna be exciting. It's like, do these people need a vacation from each other for a little while? (laughs) I don't know. I do not know. So anyway, that was kind of an eye opener. Um, But I've got to say, you know, visiting the parentals is um, you know really important to do. Uh, also for a number of reasons. And uh, I, I discovered a new reason. Okay. And, you know, that is one of just, like, safety. You know, you just you want to go and visit them, um, and you just want to make sure that, you know, everything is cool where they live. I mean, but you FaceTime him sometimes, and you can but see I, where I he I lives do. because you see the he, ceiling when he FaceTimes that's you. That's right? true. That's so, true. My dad loves to FaceTime me. Yes. And not use the FaceTime function. So I almost feel like you can, you can find this out without actually being present there. Is, uh, kind of oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> when my dad FaceTimes me, he loves to put the device down on the table so I can see the very, very top of his head and the, and the ceiling and some lights. You know, that's it. But I hear what you're saying. You know, we could use technology yeah. to make sure, you know, my dad is still in a safe environment. So anyway, so you know... Uh, he uh, is a huge, you know, fan of, of, of soccer. He's played soccer his entire life, um, and uh, he loves to watch things like the World Cup. So we were doing that. We were watching one of the World Cup games, and he has his television mounted on the wall, right? It's uh, mounted on the wall. It's on one of these little mounts that you can, you know, move around. Okay. And um, and I'm looking at the TV, and I'm thinking, damn, that thing is crooked. Oh yeah. I don't remember I don't remember them mounting it sideways. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So and I've told him about this before. And I've been there a couple of times and I've said, Why is your TV crooked? But I've never really, you know, thought more about it. Yeah. Except this time, I mean it was really yeah, awesome. It was, it was like a little bit. Forty five degree I mean, angle. It, it's, like, yeah, yeah, it's going to like three degree angles here. <laughs> he's he's tilting his furniture just so it's at the same yeah, angle. Right. Yeah. I'm surprised he's not doing that. <laughs> you know, it's like, doesn't this bother you? Haven't you noticed that your TV looks like it's fucking falling off the goddamn wall? Right. So I get up and I look at the mount, uh, and sure enough, hanging on by the, one screw uh, or something. The building management moron that installed uh-huh. this thing 
installed it in drywall. Oh, okay. Right? He did not install did, it. He did not install all four bolts in studs. No, so there was a studs. good inch or inch and a half between the um, the mount and the wall. Yeah. You know, which is why this whole thing is is, is going crooked. I'm like, uh, Dad. <laughs> the game is over. We're taking this thing off the wall before the whole thing freaking falls down. So, yeah. yeah, I mean these TVs. He's had it for a couple of years, but you don't want to just, you know, lose a television and have to go pay another two grand for another one. Plus, it might be if you're watching TV. I want it to fall on you. Right. Yeah. How, how big is this TV? Uh, I don't know. Fifty-two inches. Okay. So big. Yeah. Big. Big, big one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely big. Don't want that falling. Um, yeah, and and uh, so so then my dad was like, "Oh my god, thank you so much! I had no idea. Oh, thank you. I had no idea. How could you have no idea? Just look at the thing. Yeah, yeah. Just look at it. Just open your eyes and just be observant. Don't see a problem. And then, yeah. So so the time before, and this is a recurring theme. So not with TVs, but with the chairs. Like you go over. You go over there and you, you sit down and you have your lunch or your dinner and you're talking about whatever. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and it seems like every other time I go there, there's something wrong with a chair. Like Uh-oh. I can move around in it. I can swivel in it. But the chair was not built for that purpose. It's not right? a swivel like chair. a right? swivel chair. Yeah. But these things are from kind of an uh, – these chairs were originally bought from sort of an upscale version of Ikea a long time ago. Okay. So I know they're, they've been worn out. So I'm yeah. thinking this thing's going to freaking fall apart pretty soon. So I'm looking at the chairs, and sure enough, I mean, you can see the screws that are supposed to be keeping the parts together. Uh-huh. You know, you can you can, you can can see that a screwdriver would be really helpful. Right, right. <laughs> your, your dad doesn't own one, though, huh? Screw. I, I, I don't know. He's usually so good with this kind of stuff, but he's just kind of oblivious. I mean, if you were to sit in a chair and you were kind of you know, wiggling around to a point well, where you would be kind of concerned that you might, the chair might break, you might be falling on the floor. Yeah. This sort of awareness just isn't there anymore. Right. And so, so it's like, oh, do dude, you, dad, don't break your hip. Do you think there's a part of him that's like, thinks that, mm, eh, the chair's probably going to outlast me. So, you know, fuck it. You know, is, do you think, do you think probably, that, yeah. Probably it's it's made out of wood. Wood lasts forever. Uh-huh. Trees are trees are around for hundreds of years, you know. And, and maybe he doesn't think as far as well, you know. It is something that you assemble, uh-huh. and you do need to make sure, you know, to do some regular kind of maintenance. So, right. I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't know. But as time goes by, I tend to worry more and more about these little things um, that I never have to, you know, used to have to worry about before. So, yeah. Anyway, parents. Parents. So besides that, uh, good trip overall? Yeah, yeah. Besides that, I would say uh, it was a pretty good trip. Um, And um, we've we've talked about, you know, you uh, with your new hobby and, um, you know, with target practice and all this stuff. And um, you really should come on one of these trips to Seattle with me because of their – because of their problem with geese. Have I told me, you about this? You need me to take care of some geese, do you? Yeah. Let's take care of some geese, yeah. So they have a big problem with this retirement community where the Canadian geese, they come and they completely take over 
like the community lawn, you know, where the residents like to, you know, relax. And are, they, are they take it over to... in the sense that they like crap everywhere. Like you can't yeah. enjoy a square inch of this place. Are they open to a hunter coming in and uh, t- taking care of business or? If you don't get caught, I don't think anybody <laughs> would report you. <laughs> it's just a bunch of gunshots. Uh, I don't yeah. know. They yeah. So they've, they've tried all sorts of different things to, to you know, get rid of the geese. They even went as far as to – uh, one of the residents is like an ex-military guy. I think yeah. he was, um, you know, in the Air Force or something. So he knew a lot about, about um, you know – technology and, and, and flying different types of planes. So they put him in charge of this drone project. So they bought a bunch of drones yeah. that he could use to chase the geese off with, right? Oh, okay. So these are really basic, cheap yeah. drones. They didn't come with cameras or anything like that. Uh, and that worked for the short term, yeah. but no, they're back. The geese got used to it and they stopped caring. So they got the um, Department of whatever humane society i don't Wild, know wildlife people that are, yeah yeah wild fish and marine yeah wildlife exactly yeah uh these people over and um said you know we've got a major goose problem um is there anything you guys can do so they come out uh now with nets <clears throat> from all corners right so they come in by boat yeah and they come in from the streets and surround the geese that are hanging out there and they just uh you know they capture them with nets and um, then they take them away and do they and, do they uh, eat them what do they do with these geese? that's what i that's what i was wondering it's like hey can these geese be reused and it can be like early thanksgiving or something for the residents but right no sadly they get uh they get killed and then not yeah. eaten? Euthanized. I don't know about the whole eating part. I mean, that, maybe, that's, maybe if you work there, you can take one home and eat it. <laughs> I mean, because that's unethical, right? Like, I mean, you're, that's, that's one of the rules of hunting is like you kill it, you eat it. So, you eat it, right. Yeah, you don't want um, to be wasteful. But, I'm, yeah, yeah I'm, sure they're, I'm sure the health department has some regulations there. And I don't know. I've, I have no clue. I'm just making, making stuff up here. So I don't know. Uh, I'm assuming they get killed and shredded, right, right. burned, Something cremated. is happening to those birds, huh? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe it gets turned into dog food. Yeah. Could be. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's get on to our content here because we got a lot of it, Jens. We um, got tons. We do. And... Uh, and so, like I said, so this is on the program today. This is an artist named Essence. Um, definitely check her out. Uh, we're going to actually start off by um, by playing one of uh, um, Essence's songs, and I, I can't really give the whole story behind it because we're going to talk uh, talk about it. But um, but it's a song that she did with uh, that that Bernie wrote for her. Uh, I mean, not for her. Bernie wrote this song. She performed it, uh, and uh, it's uh, it's on um, the full length album that she made for him. So, uh, uh, without further ado, we're going to uh, hop into it. Uh, this is a song called "Unusual Boy." Um, again, it's uh, this is Bernie and the Believers featuring Essence. Here it is. 
And then we're going to get right into the interview, by the way. Again, hang tight, listen to the interview, listen to it in pieces if you need to. Uh, it's really uh, an impactful conversation. And, you know, and I, I mean, I kept it kind of, we both kept it kind of real. I shared some personal stuff as well. And, uh, uh, and so let's, let's get into it. Let's uh, bring Essence on.
Hey, Essence, how are you doing? Oh, I'm with my kids at the moment. Um, nice. <laughs> so um, we can talk. But just in case you hear um, interruptions, it would mean that would mean that I'm with my kids, and that's why. So I apologize if that is um, distracting. Not at all. I yeah, I did okay. it. I did an interview last week in the park and uh and my son and daughter were there and my son ran up during the interview, so it's uh <laughs> it's all good. I totally get it. <laughs> Thank you. I mean talking about uh your son Rise is his name, right? Reese. Reese, Reese, okay. My son Reese, yeah, Reese. Gotcha. But how do you know my my son's name? Oh, I do my homework, Essence. Come on. <laughs> well, you yeah. have done your homework. Yeah, yeah. Wow, and, yeah. He's ten years old, my son Reese. Wow, nice, nice. So he's so he's in fifth grade. He is entering fifth grade. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Uh, and uh, yeah. So we'll we'll start there, I guess, because you. Um, <laughs> Did you know that I have a daughter, too? I did not. So, okay, I, I didn't have enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> She's here, too. We can't leave her out. Okay, what's her um, name? Her, her name's Izzy, I-Z-Z-I. -I. That's her nickname. Okay, and how old is she? She's five, and they're both here in the car with me right now. We just left Stern Grove, and we're driving, so we can talk while we drive. And I've got a headset, so I'm cool. Thanks. Sounds good. And so you you created a, a children's album, a dog named Moo and his friend Rue for Rees, right? Yes, I did. Yes. And, and so tell me tell me about that. Since we're, we'll start with the kid talk. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, I made that record in 2011, and I guess it was released end of 2011, and 2012 was re released on Universal, and I made that record for two two reasons. Um, I'd never wanted to make kids music before, but I was very um, heartbroken when I first had my son because my dad had died when I was pregnant with me. Oh no! And um, very suddenly, unexpectedly, from pancreatic cancer. And um, the best way that I found to cope with my grief was to just pour myself into loving my son the way my dad loved me. And so every day I would spend every single day with Reese and we went on all kinds of adventures all over the place. And everything that we did in life just sort of, you know, I'm a songwriter that writes about real life experiences and he was my life. And and so at that time we were fully immersed in you know I was immersed in being a new mom and having a child for the first time and everything just became a song everything from like getting dressed and taking a bath to eating and you know, like our all our adventures and all of his interests turned into song and so. and you kind of expanded upon that right so you you made that into a book uh, T Rex and then. Um, uh, tell me about that and, and also the uh, the app that you created, Everybody Has a Butt. <laughs> yeah, we made a, a book for T-Rex, so I, I, I um, worked with an amazing illustrator, and we turned that into a book, which I sold quite a few, and just independently, and then we made a sing-along app to the silliest song, Everybody Has a Butt, and we're actually considering releasing a book for that because the person who made the app with me um, 
all the illustrations we made a music video that actually never we never officially released it and so I'm thinking about releasing it and using the images from that music video their illustrations <clears throat> on as a book you know, so I'm considering doing that actually for this Christmas. That would be cool. And so you, you mentioned your dad. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, tell me about your uh, musical influences uh, growing up and what it was like in your household. Were your parents a, a big influence on you musically? Absolutely, without question. Um, my parents were hippies, very um, extreme bohemians. And they were, they're both um, made of San Franciscans, and they loved um, music. So I grew up listening to, like, you know, Bob Dylan and the Beatles, and my dad played guitar, so there was a lot of, like, Eastern music happening in our house as well. Um, there was an eclectic mix, and my mom liked classical. My dad liked classical, too, so it was quite an eclectic mix, but there was also, you know, like Carol King, Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, um, you know, and I was raised like in the street, you know, in the era where there were a lot of street fairs in San Francisco, and my dad used to sell crafts, you know, and art, stained glass windows at the craft fairs, and and there were all these concerts in the park, and we were, you know, uh, craft fairs and festivals, music festivals. Whenever there was those, you know, we we went to all of them. That was the culture that I grew up in. So that music and that art from the era of the, the late 70s and the early 80s even, you know, it was sort of still, still very vibrant influence from the 60s, you know, of where my parents came of age in sort of the center of love. Kate Ashbury energy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And your family's been in San Francisco for for generations, right? For a long, long uh, time. You, it's just yeah, always, my always been your family home. family goes back six generations. Yeah. So my kids are seventh generation San Franciscan. And and what's it been like for them, kind of growing up in the the city? For my kids or yeah. for, for my parents? Yeah, for your kids. What's it like for them? Yeah, do, I mean, do, obviously it's all they've known, right? But uh, um, do they enjoy kind of having everything at their fingertips like that? And Yeah, my son, Reese, especially is a city kid. You know, he likes the city. But, I mean, we, I make, it's funny because part of my childhood I was, um, I spent living up in Nevada City. Yeah. And out in the foothills of Sierra, Nevada, but pretty far out in the boondocks, my dad built a house like way out in the ridge, um, built the road, dug the well. You know, there weren't neighbors for miles around. So I'm a country girl at heart. Even though I was born in San Francisco and I came back and lived here from 10 on, um, a lot of my early childhood and summers were spent even after I was 10. My parents split up, my mom still lived up there, and I spent a lot of time up there. So I'm country at heart. So I, spend, I, I take my kids out of the city as, as often as I can. Yeah. Because I want them to be as comfortable in the city as they are, you know, in, in nature. I want them, I really want to instill an appreciation for a slower pace of life and a, an appreciation for nature. And um, that's really important to me. They both go to a Waldorf school. So it's an, um, an observation of the seasons in the natural world in a way that's in a different perspective than what you would get. 
in a lot of other schools. So. I, to- I totally get that. My daughter goes to a Waldorf school, actually, and uh, and my son's about to start start there as well. So, you know, I, I awesome. imagine, we, you know, they have them yeah, more really, hands-on. Okay, great. They, where do they live? Where do you guys live? I live in Napa. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So. Very cool. Very nice. Yeah. So it's that's, a, that's awesome. Yeah, it's cool to get them, you know, have them grow up, you know, here. And I mean, it's close enough to the city, you know, where we can get there and, you know, but far enough away where, you know, we have some space around us and, and can kind of show them that sort of life that you're, you're talking about, right? The outdoors and, um, and, uh, and kind of, you know, not having, having people on top of you, you know what I mean? Right. I think it's so important. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, it's, a, it's a high priority. And during the summers, we take trips. Like we just came back from um, Bryce Canyon, mm-hmm. and we went to Zion National Park. And I mean, it's just so important to me that we remember um, the beauty of, of our planet, and that it's it, you know it's not really life is not so much about you know faster and bigger and more expensive and uh, retail therapy. We love nice things. I'm not going to say we don't buy stuff because we do, but it's really important for me. It's, you know, I like to see my kids play in the river and have fun, like, finding cool rocks. Like, that's what I'm into. <laughs> and they like it, too. So, it's, you know, they also love going to the Academy of Sciences and, and the Discovery Museum. You know, like, you know, we have, I try to create balance and have exposure to, you know, art and music and culture and theater and diversity racially that you get in the city that you don't get out in um, the smaller towns, but um, yeah, try out balance. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, I mean, we have something kind of else in common as well. You went to a lot of schools as a kid. You moved. You're constantly moving around, and uh, and I imagine that stems from the divorce. It did for me. I mean, I never went to one school for more than two years until high school. So, I think you're one of the few people I've you know talked to that has me beat there, right? With 14 schools mm-hmm. before fifth grade. So, I want to ask you how you adjusted to that and uh i mean were you the type of person that was quick to pick up you know and make friends or you know did you always feel out of place i always felt out of place and having the name ethnic didn't help yeah and being like the smallest shortest person in school too didn't help so like when there were sports teams i was always the last one picked um i definitely did not fit in until I just started feeling like I could sort of um, blend in more like when I was in, um, in junior high. So, yeah, I know it was really hard growing up. Um, but especially, I think the hardest part for me was that my parents, not just that my parents broke up, but that was a, really a, um, painful for me when my parents separated. Yeah. Broke my heart and... Um, deeply deeply wounded me but I think the hardest part was during those years of between five and ten my, I lived with my mom and my stepdad and they moved me out of state a lot <laughs> to various states and so um, I missed my dad he was far away and I was very close with my dad and so that really didn't sit well with me and that did not that just didn't go well <laughs> yeah at all. And so, you know, unfortunately, I find myself, you know, in a situation that I, I swore would never happen to me. I, I never, ever wanted to um, have a divorce. And, um, 
not stay with the father of my children. That was the last thing I ever wanted. Um, but circumstances led me to, there was no choice for me. It, in my particular situation, it got very toxic for many reasons. And But, but I am very dedicated to keeping um, the kids close to their dad because I, I think that the relationship is essential to have with both parents, and I really want to support that. So even though it's funny, like I would leave San Francisco at this point if I could because I think that it's not the city that I loved and grew up in anymore. Yeah. Um, I was, and it's so expensive for an artist to, to live here. Um, but I, I can't leave and I wouldn't leave because their dad is here and he's not leaving and I couldn't in good conscience or legally <laughs> take the kids away from him. But I don't, even if I could, I think that wouldn't be the right thing. I, I completely get it. You know, I'm the same sort of situation. I always, you know, had the same sort of thing. You you want to say that you won't make the same mistakes your parents make, and then you kind of walk in their footsteps a little a little bit, right? And you know, totally. Yeah, I know. I was really resentful of my mom for ending the marriage with my dad for years. I was very angry with her, and um, and now I have compassion in a different way. Yeah. Because I, you know, her situation with my dad was very different than my situation, but you can never know what is going on between two people. Only the people in the relationship know what's going on. And you can only do it as long as you can do it, and I did it longer than I could do it <laughs> by, by years. I'm... I pushed really hard for a really long time. Gosh, I mean, we have so much in common just because it's the same sort of thing here where, you know, you you, you can't be the only one pulling, you know, on a, you know, to to fight for a relationship. And that kind of happened, you know, and but I get along better now with my kid's mom than I did when, you know, near the end of our marriage. And, you know, and it's better to kind of show the kids that, you know, that you can be amicable and, uh, you know, and get along for their sake, right? I mean, because they, like you said, they do, they definitely need both parents and, and, you know, and you don't want to undermine the other parents' love for their kid either, right? You know, so. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm still, we're still not past the hard time, I think, me and my ex, but I'm hoping that we can find more peace. It was a painful breakup, real painful. And um, my, my last album is all about it. <laughs> Black Wings, really. Um, I was going to say, there's there's some personal stuff in Black Wings. I mean, I'm glad you have the earbuds in because I was going to ask you about bullshit, and it's, it sounds pretty personal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> 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 you yeah. know, that... That um, the details of that. I mean, I've been fairly open about it, but um, there's a lot of um, betrayal, and um, there was some addiction, and um, you know, it's it's it, it, that is another conversation, perhaps for when I'm alone. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't need to go <laughs> down All the way. down that road too far. Yeah, my, you know, my, yeah. Yep. Okay, but the, but the, the songs are each a snapshot of an experience that happened in marriage that led to the demise. And each, yeah, each, so it, that, that, um, each song, there's a, there's a story in that album that tells how 
that hasn't. I mean, what happened? It's all in the the album. It's actually literally there. Um, like, yeah. So, yeah, it's um. But but in writing that, I mean, I felt like I was dying in making that album while while it was being written and lived. But in making the album, it was very liberating and healing for me because it helped me process the hurt and the loss and the betrayal. And um, and and so I feel like um, it really it really helped has helped me navigate into the new phase of my life. And um, by by going through that. It's sort of a passage, like a rite of passage or a dark night or, you know, whatever you call it. It's, ther- it it's therapeutic. Fire. Yeah, it's totally therapeutic. Um, it, yeah. it created space for me in my life in a different way so that I was open to the, what came next in the next record, which was the Bernie record. But, be, but I could never have done something like that if I was still in the marriage because I was so consumed constantly with my own survival and sort of monitoring that situation, which was quite aggravated on a daily basis. Yeah, and and uh, of course we'll talk about Bernie and and you know as well. I want to get to that, but while we're yeah. while we're on Black Wings, can you tell me a little bit about "Honeyed Out" uh, that song and <laughs> and and the video, kind of what what you're expressing in the video there? Well, that that song is like um, it's a cover song. Actually, it was written by Chris Delmworth, who's an amazing songwriter for the the Northeast. And I just happened to um, hear it. I heard her live once, and she played it as an encore, and it just uh, it moved me so much because it felt like my life. And there was a point in my marriage, well, actually, it, it, it happened early on in the relationship where there was so much passion, and it was so juicy and so, like, um, addictive, actually. Uh, the chemistry was just off the charts. But at a certain point, I, I had this, like, moment, sort of an out-of-body experience, and I realized it was like, wow, but that's all there is. And, like, like it was like eating, like, cake and never having a hearty bowl of soup or a good meal and, like, only eating cake, and eventually it's, like, it's going to, you know, not be good for you. And uh, it was like... So it was a metaphor, you know, too much whiskey, too much cake. It's like, but for, in my life, it was like too much. Um, it was lust versus love, really. Yeah. And, yeah. And so, so when it came to the when it came to the video, like, I mean, you you kind of expressed that. I mean, in a kind of a literal sense, uh, uh, with the everything that was done in that video, right? Like, I mean. Right. Right. Exactly. Very, very sticky. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I imagine it took some time to get cleaned up from that one. So. <laughs> yeah, my guitar is still sticky. Is it? <laughs> I was wondering, yeah. wondering about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh it's very, it's very visually, and you know, ex- exciting. And you held your composure really well because I imagine that's the sort of thing you can't do two takes on. So. Yeah, no, that was a one take deal. Yeah. Yeah, that re- required some focus. <laughs> you did. You did great. You did great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It was fun and funny. I mean, it was. But it, it was interesting because that song was literally. It, I mean, that album happened in real time. Each song was recorded as the event was happening, and actually, that video was created at the time that the relationship was like coming apart. So, it was very felt. 
and authentic in my, you know, it was cathartic. And as I made like the, the Headed North video and as I made it the, the Honey Out video, it was actually right at the time, like, that we were coming apart. Yeah. So, yeah, like literally like those exact weeks. Yeah. So it was weird how um, the art was guiding yeah, and and so be, before we get into the the Bernie talk, uh, I want to ask you one other question. Um, you know, uh, because I know you lived in Africa as well as Europe, and so you you know you've gotten to experience, I'm sure, a lot, you know, of different cultures. That I'm 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 just really curious what that's contributed to your music and kind of to your overall you know being you know of making who you, you who you are. Well, that's a good question. Um, I would ask a really good question. When I was three, my parents became, well, they were Baha'is when I was born. But when I was three, they sold everything we owned. And we moved to Africa to spread the Baha'i faith. And some of my very first memories were in, are in Africa and in preparing to go to Africa, like getting the vaccine shot to go to Africa. I remember, like some of my very first memories are running out of the doctor's office into the parking lot to try to not get those shots. Yeah. So, yeah. But, so, and I remember being in, um, when we were in Africa, my mom got sick. She got amoeba dysentery and it was really um, scary because she started wasting away. And we went to these clinics in Kenya, in Nairobi, and in Tanzania, and I have vivid memories of the sick children in Africa when I was three, vivid, clear memories of very, very sick children and families waiting in those waiting rooms, like horrific things that I saw. Wow. Um, but why we were there was to spread this faith, the Baha'i faith, that... Um, you know, teaches that all people are one and teaches tolerance and compassion and the value of unity and, you know, love. <laughs> and I know maybe that some of those things, things might seem obvious, but they're deeply ingrained values from when I was three when I was with my parents, like going and talking to people all over the world about this. And, um, um, I think deep down inside, I've always wanted to do some type of humanitarian work of my own in the spirit of that experience when I was a child, because we didn't get to finish that work. My mom almost died, yeah. and we had to leave Africa, and that's why we came back, because she was wasting away, and we had to go see a tropical disease specialist in Switzerland. Yeah, crazy, but um, I don't know. I. People have asked me, I mean, this is jumping ahead to the Bernie thing, but people have asked me where that came from and why I did that. And I think, I think it, 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 it connects to that question that um, I think being a pop artist is a really selfish endeavor. <laughs> and being an artist in general, it's very self-focused. And, um, and I think that I've always actually been looking towards finding a way to use music to give back to communities and to help people. And I never found that until I met Bernie. 
and it um it was almost like you know it happened by I didn't really even think about it it just happened it was the right thing there was a need and I could help him and it, it, it was the right thing to do and it felt instinctive and when I evaluated it after the fact I, I could connect it back to that time when I was a kid and we lived abroad and I don't know like I guess now I feel like it's interesting like I feel like there's a whole like part of my heart that has been opened and I want to do more of that yeah um, yeah it's interesting but yeah I guess the, the experience living abroad has made me see the connection between people and that we're really not that different and the, the things that bind us, you know, it's, it's, it's human relationships and love and connection. And, and I think, yeah, I've seen that with more, you know, having lost people close to me also, you know, what's really important in life is, uh, are the people in your lives and the connections that we make and, I guess that's the place that I write from and the place that I aim to create from, you know, in that, that heart place. Yeah. I hope that answered your no, question. Oh, you, I know that was in a roundabout. No, but. you didn't. And obviously that's a great transition into Bernie, right? And so I want to, I want to know kind of like this starting from the beginning of that is like, did he emailed you, and so you were going to give him vocal lessons, or you started giving him vocal lessons. You know, t- tell me how that r- relationship started. You know, bef- obviously before we get into what happened next. Yeah. So I put it out on Craigslist after I came back from touring to promote Blackwing, and you know, because I've been teaching voice lessons intermittently for about a decade, a little bit longer, um, in between records, you know, when I'm recording, just to kind of, you know, help make ends meet. And um, he responded to an ad on Craigslist, and he was 46 years old, and he said he had always, always had a dream and he wanted to make an album. And um, that he finally was going to get off his bed and, and do something about it. And he wanted to study songwriting and voice. And he came to me, it was um, January of, the end of January, 2016. And so we started lessons. And it was right after I separated from my ex. We separated in December of 2015. Yeah. And Bernie came into my life in, uh, you know, January 2015. It was as if I'm like, this giant weight had been lifted out of my life and out of my heart, this liberating move. Um, Because I was in a pretty oppressive situation, to say the least. And so it was like, um, as sad as it was for it to end, there was like, it was also a a healing that was taking place and an opening in a space that was created by removing the toxic energy from my life. But anyway, but I, I was, I, Bernie and I met and started these lessons, and um, we talked, you know, because we were talking about songwriting, and I asked, and I get to know people when you work with someone on songs, about songs, you want to, like, get to know them, it's a personal thing, it's not just a technical thing, like, you know, what are you writing about, what's your life about, what's your goal, what do you want to say as an artist, and he was a single dad, and I was a single mom, so I shared with him some of my fears, and some of my 
And he spoke very openly, and he was not, there was no false pretense, there was no judgment, he was just down to earth and open, I mean, the guy was like, would show up in flip-flops and um, bleach splattered pants and a baseball cap, and he had come from the beach, he was a surfer, and yeah. he cleaned food for a wedding, he was very down to earth, and he was like, I just, he was very refreshing how real he was, and is. And, um, yeah. So we just became kind of, you know, we shared our lives with each other. He was a single dad, I was a single mom. And then shortly thereafter, he started bringing his daughter to some of the lessons, and I started teaching her too. And um, about two months after taking voice lessons with me, and, you know, he brought in a couple of lyrics and one finished song that had melody. Um, but his voice just disappeared, and we had no idea made it go away and uh, I didn't give it a lot of thought I wasn't too terribly concerned at first my voice gets hoarse on occasion I know a lot of singers that happens to I just figured he was you know had overexerted himself or he was tired fatigued something like that yeah but then you know months started passing and it was very you know odd that it didn't come back it was more like an oddity rather than any kind of real alarm at first it was like huh that's a really strange that's really weird. What's going on? And um, he started being a naturopath doctor, and the naturopath thought that it was chlorine exposure because he could swimming pools for a living. So she started giving him some charcoal supplement tablets that helped him to detox. And um, it didn't work. Nothing was, and he was very optimistic. He thought it was working. But it wasn't really working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he wanted it to work more than it was actually working. So, uh, months passed, and his symptoms worsened, but I think he was in denial. He was also sort of hiding some of the symptoms. But um, by the fall, he was drooling all over my guitar. He continued to come for lessons, but he wasn't singing, and our, our work shifted from focusing on the... Um, the voice to the lyrics and he would come and he would write on a legal pad and, or a dry erase board and we would communicate that way I would talk and he would write we would do our lessons that way and then but when he started drooling on my guitar and losing weight and he told me he was having trouble swallowing um, and he couldn't eat or drink I knew it was really serious yeah and I was like, you know, Bernie, you could see a neurologist. This is crazy. And he did. And then the neurologist ordered some tests, and he didn't want to take them. And I had to, you know, by then we were communicating by text message quite frequently. And he wanted to know what I thought he should do, and I encouraged him to go get tests. And, and then, you know, eventually by the spring of 2017, he was diagnosed. Yeah, it, it was awful, and he was devastated, and so was, um, so was I, and he asked me all kinds of things, like how to tell his daughter, and um, he asked me to look out for his daughter, by then I'd been teaching her for a while, and I knew them, and they were very close, father-daughter connection, which, which moved me deeply, because I was so close to my dad, and I lost my dad, so knowing that she was going to lose him hit me super hard 
and um, I had a hard time putting it out of my head. Yeah. Because I've been grieving my dad for a long, you know, you know, it's, he died in 2007. But um, there wasn't a day that I don't miss him, and he never got to meet my kids, and it was very traumatic the way he died and at the timing, like I said, I was pregnant when yeah, he died. You didn't even get to meet him. So, I mean, it was pretty raw for me and it still is a loss. And um, so I wanted to help Bernie and his daughter have a special, you know, some, some special time in a way, probably because I didn't get that with my dad when my dad was diagnosed because it went really fast. It was 30 days for diagnosis. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so when he died, so there was no time to like do something nice together before he died or something. Um, so was there a so sense I, of uh, was there a sense of urgency, like for from your perspective, you know, to to do this? Like, there was because of the type of ALS that he was diagnosed with, which was a balder onset, yeah, which gives the one to three years prognosis. And I knew he um, from the time of the first symptom, and I knew he had already had his voice lost for a year. By the time he was officially diagnosed, he hadn't had a voice for a year. And by the time he was diagnosed, he had lost 30 pounds from not being able to eat or drink. And so they almost immediately gave him a feeding tube. Yeah. So, I mean, it was going quick. And, and so... So, yeah. yeah. And this was, this was less than a year ago. Okay, so, like, he was diagnosed in May... Um, I, I went on a trip with my kids in, in early July. Well, he asked me to make, so, okay, so he asked me in early June. Um, when I, I offered to launch a GoFundMe and help him raise money to take his daughter on a trip. Yeah, yeah. He, he said no. He said he wanted to make an album instead. And I was like, well, I don't know how you're going to do that if you can't sing and speak. You don't have a voice. His hands were already getting weak. And he said... Um, I want you to be my voice. Will you be my voice? And so, what did you think when when he said that? What came, what came to your mind? Like, I just thought maybe we. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you want, I'll try to help you make a song. Um, he was sending me lyrics in the mail, handwritten lyrics in the mail because he didn't do email, and he was he was very persistent. Um, but I, honestly, I didn't really, I was resistant to doing it, Yeah. to be honest. Yeah. I didn't know how to do it. I had never written for somebody else. Um, and my music is like, I'm, you know, very autobiographical. I've never done anything like that before. And yet he kept booking time with me. Like he, he like wanted me to do it. He chose me. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. like, I almost didn't have a choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he booked a night with me, like an evening, to work on a lyric in uh, early June of 2017. And it was a lyric that he had written and that he had sent to me well before. And um, it was for a song called Simon's Hero. Um, there were words, but they were no, um, there was no melody or chord. And we just sat down and I picked up my Dover guitar and I just kind of, I just, it was like, take a deep breath and just step outside myself and like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. It was like jumping off a big rock into a, you know, or jumping off a bridge into a giant body of water. It was like, who knows what's going to happen. 
But the film just was there. It just popped right out. Like, literally, like, it, like I didn't even mess with it. Like, it was just came out whole. Yeah. And I knew what to do like, because I heard it. So we recorded it about a week or so later. And what you hear on the album is, is one take. That's the original time that I, it was a scratch vocal. So it just, we just never did it again. That's what it was. And um, originally he thought maybe we should get his daughter Nicole to sing it. And we tried, but there's so many words in the song and it doesn't have like a traditional meter yeah. or form. And it's very sort of extemporaneous, like almost like beat poet or like, like Bob Dylan in a way. Mm-hmm. And she couldn't fit all the words in and the phrasing and the melody. It just was awkward. It didn't feel quite right. So we had her sing on the chorus of harmony, which was beautiful. Yeah. Um, so then I took a trip with my kids. I took them to the Grand Canyon in late June, early July. And I could not stop thinking about Bernie. And at that point, I thought we were just, you know, I just thought it was a one-off. I thought we did this amazing song, and that's cool. And that was an amazing, powerful song. It was dedicated to his daughter's future children, who he didn't think he was going to live long enough to meet. And he wanted them to know who he is and know what he believes in and what he stands for. And he has some, you know, very um, unique views of the world yeah. and ideals. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he, he wanted to be remembered and, and, you know, with the musical legacy, he wanted to give them advice for living through this song. So it was a, it was a tall order for me to, to sing it and to help him put music to it because I just wanted to do it justice and it was intimidating. But when I sat down to do it, it was like it already was there. Yeah. Yeah. So then when I was on this trip, I couldn't stop thinking about him. And when I got back, I decided to launch the GoFundMe to help him make an album. And I didn't expect there to be any response, really. And I was wrong. I've been wrong before, and I continue. The world, I, I mean, the world is just full of surprises. So he was um, very supported by the community. We were very supported by the community. Not a bad thing to and be wrong was, about, yeah. Yeah, so I was happy to be wrong. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, and then so I launched the GoFundMe, and we had like twenty-seven thousand um, dollars. Some of the funds came in privately off of GoFundMe, and some came in through GoFundMe. And then once the uh, money was there, I called my collaborators to help me make Blackwing. I didn't think that they would want to do this, and again, I was wrong. And we did it. And basically, but it was on a song-by-song basis. It wasn't like, oh, let's make this album. It was like, let's just take it one lyric at a time, and Bernie would give me lyrics, and then we would get in the studio with these guys, and we would together collaborate on melody and, you know, chords. And that's how the record was made. Yeah, and and so as it's... As it was, as connection was coming together, tell me, you know, was it like putting pieces in a puzzle for you? Like it just, like it flowed, it felt right. It, you know, it was, you know, it was. You felt like the voice of Bernie ultimately as uh, as this was coming together. Well, Bernie was right there the whole time. Yeah. Um. So he was driving himself to the early sessions in a pickup truck, and 
Bernie and I are, are friends. We're friends now, and we were friends then. And I couldn't believe that he was. I was like so astonished by the rapid progression of his disease. It was like I knew that the music was what was keeping him alive. Yeah. I mean, I knew. I knew that he was doing. He was like, you know, this. <laughs> If this was it for him, I couldn't say no. I couldn't say no, and and every time we got together, the songs came out. They clicked. Yeah. Every single time. So there was never like a day that we went in the studio and was like, eh, this one's not really working. That never happened. Yeah. So, I mean, in life, I think it's like that thing, like John Lennon, like, you know, see, I was in the middle of making my own album, the follow-up to Black Wings, when this all was happening. And like that saying, life is what happens when you're busy making plans. Yeah. This album had more urgency. It had to happen then. There wasn't the opportunity to say, you know, I need to finish my record. Let's revisit this in six months. No, you didn't have that time. There was no option, and he didn't want anyone else to do it. I couldn't, you know, it was like, it was like this uh, life force and this calling that I was, it was not about me, but yet I was, I was the instrument for it. It had to happen. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely, it had a life of its own, it had to happen, and, and I was honored. I became, you know, I came to a place of like, okay, this is it. I mean, I did continue writing some of my own songs. But um, but mostly my attention has has turned to this project because it has a life force that's powerful and it's funny because Bernie said to me at one point that this was going to be my next record and I looked and I said no it isn't this is your record this is not my record this is, these aren't my words this is not my story and he laughed yeah and he smiled. And he looked at me with like like a, a sparkle in his eyes, like foolish. You're foolish. You don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> he knew, and I didn't know. Yeah. And and so so tell me about um, unusual boy. Uh, the the video that you made for that. It's I mean so touching, so moving, and obviously has garnered some attention towards the you know the whole project as as well. You know I mean tell me how that came about what you go <laughs> I don't know how else to ask it you know yeah I mean Bernie, okay so that so I didn't want to make the album at first but I ended up doing it and then Bernie didn't want to make that video at first but we ended up doing it yeah so um I wanted to I mean he wanted to make a music video and not have him in it. That that was what it was. He, it's not that he didn't want to do the video. He didn't want to be in it. He's super shy. Probably self-conscious and, as well, right? What's that? Probably self-conscious as well, I imagine. You know what? He he. That's the one thing about Bernie. He has no vanity. Yeah. He he allowed um, documentary films to be made during the his progression of the entire experience. We have the whole thing documented on film. So he was never um, vain about it. It wasn't that. He just wanted it to be about the love story. 
you know, he wanted it to be about the relationship, and he didn't want that to be um, overshadowed by the drama of his condition. He didn't want the attention to be on the fact that he had ALS. Yeah. Because that's not what the song is about. Yeah. He wanted the song to just be recon- rec- recognized for the song. But I, I felt that the story, if he, he wanted another man to play the male part, and I'm like, there just isn't anyone who can do this except you. Yeah. If you want me to be doing this with someone, it's not going to be anyone but you. And that's bad. I just couldn't imagine it. And this guy, Ari Gold, who's um, a longtime friend. Hold on, let's see. How, oh, my son is saying, how many minutes? <laughs> <laughs> and before that, he wrote me on a crayon, on a, on a, on a paper towel, actually a napkin. He said, um, get off the phone now. <laughs> we're, 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 we're winding down. But, we got a couple more. <laughs> yeah, I want to yeah. take it home smoothly, but, um, you know? I mean, so Ari Gold is, a, is an acclaimed uh, filmmaker, independent filmmaker, and his brother, Ethan Gold, is the one who had directed my videos for Blackwing. And I'd always wanted to work with Bitch, but Ethan's mostly, um, he's, a, he's a musical artist who happens to do film on the side, but his brother is actually the film guy, and I'd always wanted to work with Ari. Yeah. And he, and he took this you know, interest in this particular song and this project, and Ari was insistent that Bernie was in it. And the truth is that the song was written originally by Bernie. He, he sent new lyrics in the mail for this one, too. And, um, and in the original version, my name was in it, which made me, like, all kinds of squeamish. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, my goodness, what is going on here? Um, so, yeah, so that, and so I had a very different vision for that video. I wanted to just sing to him, like, standing in his room, but when we were making that video, um, right before we started shooting, I sat down on the bed to just give him a hug and, like, talk to him and, like, ask him how he was feeling and make sure he was cool with everything. And I gave him a big hug, and, and he and I both kind of started crying. And Ari was there, and he's like, don't move. Yeah. This is, this is where we're going to shoot it. Don't even move. And then he made the lighting people move the lights, and he's like, okay, sing the song. And I, was, and I was like, I was like, but, but, but I'm sitting, I don't think I can tell. So, yeah, so I just was afraid. I didn't want to, like, scream at him because I was so close to his face, and I was, that song was, like, belting at the end, and I didn't want to overpower him. Yeah. And so, but there's just, um, you know, there's a lot of emotion between us, and 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 I just, you know, Ari just like made me. He didn't want to. He didn't listen to anything I had to say. No. I don't want to stand. He made me sit and just look at him and do it, and I did it. I mean, it's it's the closeness that you had there that. I mean, it really shows how close you actually, you guys actually were, right? A lot of there's a lot of volume and a lot of depth uh, in that video and in kind of the expression and obviously it's a personal song to him as well so he had to be in in that video so i I think it worked out for the best across the board thank you yeah it was um i remember when when we finished it it was like 
holy crap, that's either the worst thing that I've ever been part of in my life because it's so melodramatic or that's like really, really a breakthrough and amazing. Um, I wasn't sure for about a week what I thought of it. After it was shot, like I was going back and forth, there were moments where I'm like, oh my God, is that going to be like, you know, is that like, is it like soap opera? Like, (laughs) you know, I didn't know what it was. Yeah, what it was, because it was so much heart and so raw. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I didn't know what to think. And so, um, I, I know you want to. Uh, your kids want you want you, and uh, I have just a couple more questions on Bernie. And no, then... it's okay. It's okay. okay. They can they can be patient, and I'm sorry that that um. I mean, I, I, we can also sort of talk further about what it's like. You know, if you want me to elaborate on anything especially like the black wing stuff we can talk again another time this week yeah i mean uh whatever works for for you i mean i I like where it's going so uh so just on the tell me about the gofundme that's currently happening with uh for for bernie and you know in the nursing home well bernie doesn't want to be in the nursing home in fact Bernie's not in the nursing home anymore. He's actually in the hospital. Okay. Um, he's on life support. He wants to go home. He's been wanting to go home since he was in the nursing home that he went into last November. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be a chance currently for him to ever go home because the amount of money it would cost is just mind-boggling for his support at home. He he now has a tracheotomy and a machine breathes for him and now he has a new feeding tube that goes directly to his intestines and bypasses his stomach because his stomach now doesn't work. Um, and, and, and he's communicating only with his eyes through an IV device like Stephen Hawking. And that's been like that since November, too. Um, but it's like, you know, $12,000 a week, approximately, to keep him at home. Yeah. And so originally that we launched that to try to get Bernie to come home, that we would need like a minimum of $300,000 to get him to go home. And so far, I haven't checked it recently. Yeah, Let me check it. I think it, was, but, um, I think it was like in the 80s or something. We are not yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. We're not there. And so, unfortunately, you know, Bernie is in a hospital, and that's, that's really hard for him. You know? It's yeah. not where he wants to be. He's, yeah. yeah. He, wants, he doesn't want to be in that environment. He's a blend him. He gets to see his daughter enough, though, to... Sh- well, when he was in the nursing home, he was in Cupertino, which isn't terribly far from where she lives. Yeah. But now she's in San Francisco, which is closer to me. And, um, yeah, basically, um, she doesn't get to see him as often because it's a longer drive and her mom works. And so I think she doesn't see him very much. You know, I mean, you know, weekends, that's about it, I think. Yeah. So, so tell me about Bernie and the Believers, and uh, I mean, I'm I'm kicking myself for missing your show a couple weeks ago now. You know, uh, 
because I it would I mean it would have been really cool to see you guys live. Do you have any more shows coming up? And tell me how that kind of came about. Um, we have a tour, an East Coast tour on the books for oh, nice. October. We're going to go back east and play on Tiny Desk. We're going to do a Tiny Desk concert at, in Washington D.C. And um, and then we're going to do like a week of dates in New York and Philly and neighboring areas, possibly Boston, Jersey, and we're still booking it. But we, um, yeah, we're, we're anchoring it around this NPR date. We're also playing um, a show on September 15th um, at the Hit Ashbury Arts Center. I, I, I can get the exact name of the venue for you. I've never been there before, but um, um, Irish Greg and Renee from K-Fog, yeah. they are putting on this amazing show and bringing the believers to play. And, there, and at this show, there will be a number of people performing one of Bernie's songs, interpreting it with their own chords and their own melodies. Oh, that's so cool. So, it's amazing, yeah. So there's going to be, you know, because the San Francisco Chronicle ran a front-page feature, which was huge, and they invited the public to create their own version of Sign of Zero. So basically to give Bernie many voices. He lost his voice, and I was the voice on the album, but they're, they're giving him the chance to have many voices, many different voices, which I think is just so amazing and absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and so that's the next date one we have on, on the book is September 15th, and then the date's in October. And um, I actually don't have anything on the book in July and August. That could change. Um, but at the moment, that's where it's been. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. I'm, I mean, it's really cool that you're you're doing that and you're going out and, and you, you know, and you know, kind of all, putting aside your personal career to to do this you know as you know obviously like you talked about you know the importance of of that right now right so i mean yeah well i mean bernie is laying in a bed and uh we don't know how much time he has but not a lot i don't think but you never know because his life force is so strong and he's really living for this music to reach people yeah. and he's living for his daughter so he does have reasons to stay alive um but his health is not strong at all and um so it's an honor it feels like it feels like a very important very important thing to do to share his music and and at this point i have a lot of um investment in the music itself because i co-wrote it yeah. and i love the songs and the, you know so they they now aren't um it's not an abstract thing anymore like oh this guy asked me to put you know melody and music to his words it's, it's like wow I've been singing these songs. I wrote those melodies. I wrote those, um, the chord progression, co-wrote them because there was another collaborator. There are actually two other collaborators on various different songs. And um, Roger Rocha and Daniel Berkman are the collaborators who also were um, in you know, the writing process in the studio. And so I feel a great amount of passion for singing these songs. They come from my heart too. Yeah, and so, yeah. So, um, so I have two more questions um, to kind of wind us out here. Um, I I know you played with Tom Petty 
Um, t- did you get a chance to meet him when you played with him? Um, I, yeah, I, I've met him <laughs> in passing a couple of times. I wish I could say that I knew Tom Petty better. <laughs> yeah. He's one of my biggest influences and heroes. Um, but I didn't get to go deep with him. So, but he did, um, I did have an interesting meeting with him right before he died, if you want to hear about it. <laughs> I, I do. Uh, yes, I, I do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He played Napa at Bottle Rock? Yeah, I was there. Yeah. Awesome. Wasn't that like one of the most amazing shows ever? It, it was, and I'll tell you, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm kicking myself a little bit because I, I did leave halfway through the set. I, I'm a big Petty fan, but I, you know, it's it's this thing where you have the you compare to the past, and you know, and and I'd seen him in '05 and '06 at the Greek, and had. Uh, photo passes so I was closer than front row for the whole set and it's it's incredible you know moments where nothing can really compare to it and Stevie Nicks came out in 06 and uh, and played five songs with with uh, Petty as well and and so being at Bottle Rock where there's a hundred thousand people on your shoulder to shoulder or whatever you know and uh, you know and you're there for three full days you know you you don't realize you're not going to get another chance you know, right. uh, to, to see, obviously, you know, and, and so you kick yourself a little bit. I'm glad I got to see at least part of his set at Bottle Rock, you know, um, and, uh, but yeah, I wish I'd been able, I wish I'd stayed for the whole thing, obviously, but yeah, what was, what was your experience at Bottle Rock? Well, somebody gave me a backstage pass. Wow. Which nice. Is crazy. Yeah. And yeah, I just, uh, I used it to the fullest. I watched that show. I, you know, I was front and center with the photographers. Then I was above him in the scaffolding. Yeah. I was on the side of the stage. I was behind the stage. And I'd seen him many times before. But I really took that one in because I was so close. And I knew I could sense that he wasn't his, you know, old self. Right, he wasn't his at uh, his prime. He was. I, I sensed he was older, um, and pushing his energy. But he was still phenomenal, and the band was flawless. Um, and I decided that I wanted to meet him that night. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, what I thought was at the end of his set end of his encore I went to back and I sort of waited backstage near his bus like a groupie like a total groupie right and um the set just went on and on and on and on and on and like it was 45 minutes longer than I thought it was going to be it was phenomenal but um when he finally came out um there was nobody around the bus but me I was it yeah and I was like oh my god he's coming and there's nobody here um there was one bodyguard that was it who opened the you know the door to the bus and and as he was walking up i like i said i said hey tom my name's essence and i want to thank you you know for everything that you've done and that everything you've created you've changed my life path and you've helped me to become the songwriter and you know to live the life of a songwriter and I just can't thank you enough 
and I wanted to give him my Blackwing CD. But I had tried to give him a CD in 1997 when yeah. he played the Fillmore, the time that I I opened, uh. and um, he wouldn't take it then in 1997. And he wouldn't take it in 2017 either. No, 20 years later. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't do it because he said it was the same kind of thing. Like my record company, like I'm not allowed to because if anything I write resembles this ever, there's lawsuits and blah, 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 which I don't know what I believe. I think of that. But this time he took the towel off, <clears throat> off his shoulder, his sweat towel. Yeah. <laughs> and he passed it to me. Uh, <laughs> like a groupie. Like right. I wanted his sweat towel. Right. <laughs> you kept it. Come on, you kept it. <laughs> oh, it's in my guitar case. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never wash it. No, I no. I sleep with it sometimes. Sometimes I sleep with it. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Got a little Seriously. bit petty with you. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he, I told him my name, and he was like, "What? What's your name? Really? That's your name?" Yeah. <laughs> and that was like as far as we got with the conversation, and he had to go. And he looked really beat. Yeah. He looked tired and frail, and um, that was it. I got the sweat towel. So that's my Tom Teddy story for you. <laughs> that is a great story, and a much better last memory than. Than mine, you know, as well. But it, you know, at least we both got to be there, right? So, <laughs> that's yeah. Hey, at least you were there. I was there, so that's uh, that's really cool. And um, and so my last question for you, since uh, is uh, tying in what you've taken away from from Bernie, in, you know, uh, in the past uh, time that you've you've had with him. How does that? What are you taking away from that? What have you learned from that? That's that you're going to take into your own music as you go forward. Amazing question. Good question. Um, well, I've always aspired to tell the truth. I mean, that's always my goal and my wish as a songwriter. But you know, Bernie. Bernie, like I said, doesn't have any false pretense, which is what I loved about him as a friend and a songwriter. And there is an urgency in his lyrics, an authenticity and an urgency, and he raises that bar to a higher level Yeah. in some ways than I do or have. So I want to do that, and um, I want to dig deeper. And I suppose I want to I want to link my music to more humanitarian causes moving forward as well. I just see life as you know being so temporary and fragile, and um, I want to convey the greatest truth possible and help people if I can along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and part of that, I, you know, I think um, is, 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 hey, hey Reese, wait, hold on. Yeah. Oh, I do know. <laughs> I mean, to think, that, to, to think that I can make music and have two kids as a single mom is insane. Right. 
I mean, like, what am I thinking? <laughs> I, you know, I, I get it. So you're, you're again, you're talking to a single parent of two as well. So, <laughs> you know. how, how old are your kids? My, my daughter is eight and my son is uh, four and a half. Wow. You're right in it. Yep. And you're, you're a single parent. I, we should, we need to get together and uh, have a cup of tea sometime. We, we definitely should. Yes. Yeah. We definitely should. Yeah. yeah. So. Yes, I would just say, uh, you know, digging deep in authenticity and fearless, brutal honesty, um, and the and humanity, and 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 um, I think that um, like there's a love of, of I realize you know the importance of music as a legacy, so so I think. Um, it's interesting, like with, um, you know, how I made a God's name move for my son, Reese. I think eventually I'll be making an album for my daughter, Izzy. Yeah. And, and with her, yeah, because um, I want them each to have a musical, um, you know, piece of me that's dedicated to them. That legacy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, part of legacy, and I think music lives on. You know, why do we create music? Why do we make art? It's because we want to leave something um, vibrant from our soul behind when we're, you know, because we're all mortal. And so I want, you know, I, I think about what do I really want to say? Like, what what can I possibly say that really matters that's not just totally self-indulgent? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I think what Bernie did... And some of these songs is that it's a very powerful, larger than life statement that he's made that I've been able to be a part of. And um I can only hope that I can I can uh, continue on in that same spirit. Yeah. Well well Essence, I wanna I wanna thank you for the time and, and taking the time, you know, from your kids as well because as a single parent I I know how precious that time is. You you don't have exclusive time with them and 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 so I appreciate you taking the time to chat and I wanna let you know that, you know, I knew this would be kind of an you know, an emotional, you know, I interview, but I wanted you to know it was kind of the most touching and impactful interview uh, probably that I've ever done. So are you serious? It's, I, you know, just the subject matter. You know, I talked to a lot of bands, and uh, most of them don't have the same, you know, the story that you do, you know, and the and the, the situation, I mean, you know, you and Bernie just is such a great story, so I was really excited to, uh, to kind of hear it from your perspective. I read a lot about it, of course, but to hear it from your perspective and, um, and, where where that came from yeah it's i mean it was it was really touching so um thank you i mean i think that it, i think that there's part of me that's still in a state of denial or shock or maybe i'm too close to it to even know what it is that we are really doing it's still like happening in real time yeah because he's still alive and i'm still just sort of you know it's it's, it's, it's a living, breathing project. It's not over. You know, it's, I keep thinking, oh, well, I'll, I'll turn this corner and we'll do this show and then I'm going to get back to my music. But the thing is, it just keeps going. I didn't get to tell you that somebody is buying the rights to the story and the music and making um, um, a 
film, a feature film, not a documentary, but a feature film. Really? Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it, it just seems to keep going. I mean, uh, you know, am I going to play myself or am I, are they going to get an actor? Like, there are questions still. Yeah. I don't, I don't know the answer to that yet. But um, it's kind of crazy to think, like, it's because it's my life, too. It's my story. And it's his story. And it's my kid's story. It's like, it's because it's, it's real. It's, you know, it's all of us. It's happening. Yeah, and in a, in a time where you see so many movies, then you're like, this story's been told over and over again, and there's sequel after sequel, of, you know, of a movie that doesn't need to be made, and you know, it's great to have hear this because you know, even in our conversation, and I, I know that there, I mean, there's a story here, and it's still being told, and and I'm, I mean, I'm excited for you and and Bernie, and you know, and that that's that's going to happen, you know. That uh, that the that, that story is going to be told, and I hope it you know they do it j- justice. I'm sure they will. I believe they will. I mean, it is also I have to say a little scary to start to sell the rights and to sign it off and trust someone to do it. Yeah. You know, because they will ultimately have the final say. They'll consult me and Bernie and his family, but um, who knows how that's going to go? <laughs> yeah. It's a leap, but. Um, yeah. So thank you for your time and your sensitivity and your patience with my children today. Absolutely. And yeah, thank you so much. And I feel, I feel very fortunate and I just, um, yeah, I pinch myself. I'm like always like, gosh, is this, is this happening? Is yeah. this real? What's going on here? <laughs> like, I didn't expect any of this or plan any of this. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but you embraced it, and that's and that's what's most, most important, right? So, yeah, I think that's the thing that I'll take take forward with me. I, you asked it. Let me let me just give you one more answer to that last question. Sure. I think the thing that I'm going to take with me is keeping my eyes open and not trying to control the creative process, but really letting it unfold because. And actually, truly, that there are songs everywhere at all times, and creativity and inspiration is around us always. I like it. That's what I've, <laughs> that's what I've learned. It really is true. And you can't control the creative process. You can't. You can't. You can't predict where a song is going to go. You can't predict. It's. It's. You know. It truly is a force, a frequency. Um, if you tune in, and it's, it's bigger than us. So, yeah. Yeah. That's it. Let the song write, uh, write itself. You just be the vessel for it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's, what it, that's what it is. That's the goal of being an artist for me. Yeah. To let it move through and to get out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> Very well said. Well, Essence, thank you again. And, yeah, you guys have a, a great evening. Thank you so much, Steve. It's really nice to meet you, and I hope I've had class. I mean that sincerely. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure, we're not, we're not too we're not too far, so <laughs> we can do it. Yeah. Life is short. Let's just do it. I like it. Send me, shoot, shoot me an email. Let me know when you're around. Or I, I, I'm in Marin all the time. So my kids go to school in Mill Valley. So, oh, nice. Yeah, we okay. can figure it out. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk soon then, okay? Okay. Sounds good. Right, Have a great night. You too. Okay. Bye, Essence. Bye. That was the interview with Essence here on Concert Pipeline. Ooh, really intense stuff, huh, Jens? Yeah. That is heavy. Yeah. So... Um, so yeah, the, the GoFundMe is out there for Bernie. If you want to contribute to trying to get him out of the hospital, they, 
they need a lot more money to get to that point. It's probably not going to happen, uh, unfortunately, but um, but every bit helps. So, uh, and definitely uh, check them out uh, whenever they come around. I think they have a show coming up um, in a couple weeks, actually, uh, that that Essence told me about. Um, I do not remember the the date in offhand, but it's in, uh, but we heard about it in the the podcast so it's in september i think actually so um anyway uh bernie and the believers.com is where you can go to uh to find out more about that and uh and check them out um so let's go ahead and move forward now um and uh, and talk about the, the concert that i went to last night okay Jens? yeah can't wait to hear about it yeah so um so Bernie and oh no that was not Bernie and the Believers it's uh, it was Sylvanesso uh, but uh, Kamasi Washington opened up for uh, Sylvanesso and I'd never seen Kamasi uh, before uh, so this is uh, my first experience checking him out but um, went to the show with uh, our friends uh, Joe and Jackie um, we're all all fans of Sylvanesso uh, we had Sylvanesso on the podcast. I think it was like Joe Joe's last interview or one of his last interviews before he stopped hosting the the pod with me, um, and uh, a band that he really likes actually. So it was funny because I had actually turned it down at first. I turned down the interview when I was offered it, um, and uh, told Joe, and he's like, "Get that interview back," you know. <laughs> and so, right. uh, and so, so I did, and we interviewed him at the Fillmore, and. Uh, it was a fun conversation, but I really was like pulled out of the interview because uh, because like uh, Joe asked a question. He's like uh, he asked him, "What is your favorite TV show and why is it Star Trek: Next Generation?" <laughs> and and at that point, I hadn't really watched any Star Trek. Uh, and oh so, shit! And so I was like. You know, in the interview, I was like, "Well, you guys got this. Uh, I should, you know, I could just go listen to the opener sound check and, you know, be as in, you know, involved in that in this conversation." So, oh my God, I can imagine you right now, like, uh, Kirk, who's he? Is he the captain? Uh, yeah. shit, why didn't I watch this show growing up? Not even in Kirk isn't even in Star Trek: Next Generation, and that I can tell you now <laughs> because uh, I have watched all of Next Generation since then. So. Uh, right and most all i think that's right. really the only one i saw i mean i saw really early on like in the 70s uh, maybe not in the 70s but maybe in the 80s i watched some reruns um you know of the original series and some i mean some of that is just pure comedy oh, some you of know it, where, where yeah. people obviously had no fucking idea what the episode was going to be about oh, yeah. so they just went with whatever <laughs> yeah i know right yeah it's i i did not finish the original series because uh, like to your point some of it is unwatchable like it's mm-hmm. uh it's just bad and difficult to watch uh, so I, sh- I should at some point go back just as, as a completionist to watch uh um watch some of the original but but i really like next generation um deep space nine is great also those are kind of my two favorite series uh that i that i watched i didn't get through voyager um and i haven't watched the new star trek either um so anyway that's a big old tangent um that's a huge tangent yeah yeah all right but uh we're talking about uh, kamasi washington here jens and um and him his opening the show at the greek theater so uh went with joe and jackie actually went with jackie met up with joe because he was working and he met us there 
um, like an hour after we got there. And um, I got a free beer in line, which was cool. Um, Wait, what? Free beer? Right, I got got your attention now. Uh, how'd you manage that? Uh, well, the dude in front of us uh, worked for a Drake Brewing Company, and oh, not bad. And so, like, hey, he word or wherever. he opens his backpack and he's like, "Hey, you want a free beer?" And I mean, I was just kind of like. You know, not a question I'm asked every day, you know, so I was like, now, like now? <laughs> like, yeah. is this a whole backpack full of beer? Like, I, how many he had, does he have to, to, he, to give away here? He had a couple, but he offered one to me and Jackie. Jackie turned hers down, but then ended up having some of mine. And uh, Wait, Jackie uh, turns it down a beer? I know, I don't know why. Uh, I think she was probably thrown off as well, and so he gave it to someone else. He probably, he had to get rid of it before he went into the venue, right? But he got it, no. he, he'd gotten oh. it from work, and whatever and it was cool and that was a, a nice ge- gesture to do right so yeah um free beer started That's the cool. concert out out nicely and um okay hold up okay this was the Fillmore. no sorry the Fillmore was uh, a couple years ago when we interviewed them this uh, was this was at the greek theater in berkeley oh of course the greek yes so they, okay, because the first thing i thought you were going to say is that you know you went and ate an apple right and i'm like why is he talking about beer i oh, it's the greek. i, I did not have an apple last night unfortunately uh, yeah, okay. But, uh, but the Greek. I mean, I I haven't been to too too many shows there. It um, over over the years I've been to a couple, and it's it's such a cool venue uh, to see a show. Have you ever been there? I've been there several times. Yeah, the Greek's pretty killer. Yeah. So. The only thing that's not killer about the Greek, uh, actually, there's several things that are not killer about the Greek. One, parking. Uh, yeah, it's non-existent. Sucks. But we got a cl- close parking spot, like right around the corner. Luckily. And, How? And, and only had to pay a quarter for parking, which is uh, That's awesome. insane. Are you sure it was legit? I mean, it was. there was five minutes left until it was free parking. So, yeah, we did, Jackie literally put a quarter in the machine, in the meter. You, so. you were lucky. That shit never happens to me. The other thing that sucks about the Greek is that it's made out of freaking concrete. Yeah, you know how uncomfortable yeah. it is to sit there? Yeah, we sat at the back of the concrete, like near against a wall. So uh, while we were waiting for the show to start and everything, so yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting different type of venue, and it's uh, pretty yeah. steep. And also, you got to go it's upstairs. You got to go upstairs to get to the bathrooms too. So that's true. So that's you got to hike. Yeah, you got to hike to pee. Right. So you know cool. what also sucks about the Greek? I'm now thinking about all these things that suck about the Greek, okay. and I, I really do like the Greek. Uh huh. But. I just I don't know why I'm being so negative. I think one of the things that I really hate about the Greek, I hope I'm not offending anybody by saying this, but the majority of the people that go to the Greek piss me off. Oh, okay. You don't you don't like them college students or whatever, right? I don't know what the fuck the problem is with the people that go to the Greek, but they're not the kind of concert people that that I am. Like when I go to a concert, I want to have a good time, right? I want to dance. I want to, you know, sing. Blah, blah. Yeah. I don't know. I've been to so many concerts at the Greek, and I've almost had the same damn experience every every single time. It's like sitting around a bunch of fucking corpses. Wow. Or it's like going to the opera, right? Yeah. Where everyone is so on their best behavior. Um, that they wouldn't possibly want to do anything that wouldn't be appropriate to do in an opera, okay. right? So you've got some amazing bands that come through there, you know, and obviously people want to act like they do if you go to the Fox, right? If you right. go to the Fox or you go to the Fillmore. 
Right. Right? They want to stand up. They want to dance. You do that at the Greek and you will be shame. Mm. Holy shit. Like the whole – the people behind you, it's like shame fest. Yeah. We were standing. We were dancing a bit. You know, it was, uh, we, we were having a good time. I'll tell you that. So don't contradict me, man. It's it's happening. You have to say you have to say me. something nice about the Greek now because you've said uh, nothing but you know mean stuff. I I said I said the view's great. Okay. I said something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> no, the Greek is great. I, I do love the way it's set up. I don't mind having to walk upstairs, uh-huh. you know, to go to the bathroom. Uh, the view's great. They have good beer. Okay. Um, the acoustics. No problems with the acoustics. They've yeah. got a good stage set up. No matter where you sit, you know, you've got a good view. Yeah. And um, they've got lawn seats up at the top. Yeah, they do have a bit of lawn. And, and the cool thing about the Greek also that, I mean, it holds 8,500 people. But for an amphitheater, it's pretty intimate. It's not like Shoreline, right? Yeah. Where you're going right. to have, I think, a couple thousand more people, bigger lawn and stuff at Shoreline. Uh-huh. Um, you yeah, know, yeah. That'll be there. But it's... I mean, much more expansive, and it and the the uh, acoustics are not as great as uh, at the Greek. Also, he, there's uh-huh. even though you're with thousands of people, there's an intimate feel to yeah to the show, which is which is pretty cool. Uh, That's a great point. That's a really really good point. Yeah, I mean, it, it's at UC Berkeley, yes. so you would think that you're surrounded by campus, but you're not. I mean, it's yeah. it's right there across the street in this kind of wooded intimate setting. Yeah, so. Kamasi Washington opened the show, and uh, he he's a saxophone player. He was born in Los Angeles, uh, and he had musical parents, kind of, which uh, got him into uh, music as well. So uh, he uh, he's he's been around for a bit. He's done uh, you know played a bunch of shows like uh, Coachella in 2016. Uh, played Bonnaroo in 2016 as well so he's done a lot of festivals outside lands uh that sort of thing um and uh and he op- he's opening for Sovaneso on this tour uh which is pretty cool so again I had no exposure to him before uh he's got a big kind of like uh it's kind of like bluesy jam band sort of feel so some songs were like 15 minutes uh uh, you know, and and one would flow into the the next. One thing that I liked about his band as well, uh, he had two drummers. Which, Whoa! Yeah, no way. A drummer, How does that work? A drummer on either side of the the, the stage, sort of thing. So, um, yeah, no, I know it was uh, it was pretty interesting. You don't see too many bands like Bleachers has two drummers, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but you don't see too too many that do, and uh, uh, and so. Uh, it's a pretty cool set. I think we should listen to a song that he did uh, at the Greek. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. Check it out. Kamasi Washington, here it is.
That was Kamashi Washington on Concert Pipeline. Um, so we're going to talk about Sylvanesso uh, as well. We're going to um, close out the show with a song from Sylvanesso. Uh, and so, like I said, first time seeing him was at the Fillmore. Also last year, Joe Jackie and I went to uh, see them at uh, Lagunitas Brewing Company in Petaluma, which was really cool. I'd never been there. And uh, that was super intimate. I mean, that was like a tenth of the size of the, the crowd here at the, the Greek. So, I mean, it's it's cool to see a it's band. It's a tiny place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's cool to yeah. see a band you like grow to that degree also, you know, and they've been doing yeah. really well since I've known known their stuff, but they have two albums out. And so you think that, okay, you know, you got two albums, each one's between 36 and 38 minutes. They're going to play almost everything, you know, uh, if they want to fill more than an hour, right? And And so they pretty much did. Um, I mean, they played 19 songs and, uh, or I think maybe 18. Um, and it was yeah, a, a fun set. So, and, and my kids yeah. like their, their stuff too. You know, um, my daughter Fern actually, like, I think it was two weeks ago now at this point, um, uh, she wanted to, uh, make a video of Sylvanesso's Hey Mommy song, um, M-A-M-I. Mm. And, um, uh, and kind of make a music video of it for uh, for a friend Joe, who's it's one of his favorite bands, and it was his birthday, and so she wanted to do that for him. Um, she's eight years old, and there's uh, a little bit of content, and there's some lyrics that I hadn't fully interpreted when I allowed my eight year old to sing. Uh, right. Sing, well, sing, she probably sing. didn't interpret them either. No, I'm sure she didn't. But she did say a couple of curse words, which, which I was okay with uh, in that context. Um, and, uh, cause she wanted to, you know, be an artist. She wanted to be, you know, she wanted to do it right. And, uh, and I'm okay with that, but I did get a, you know, a, a couple of comments from Joe and his wife about, uh, the choice of song, uh, <laughs> that, the I, choice that I let my eight year old daughter sing. Um, okay. Now, now be honest. Did you get that from Joe or from Jackie? Uh, well, first Joe. Because he he actually saw it a couple hours before his before his birthday, because uh, it was on my personal YouTube, uh, uh, and uh, he's which apparently he subscribes to, and he was he wasn't supposed to see it until the next day. So first from him, uh, I mean he said it was a really sweet you know thought and uh, you know great of Fern to to do that and everything, but it got a, he, she's got a, a, cre- a weird dad you know, so. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyway, it, the video came out well. Uh, it's a good song. They like it because it's a catchy, catchy song, and it's like it's you mm-hmm. know it re- keeps repeating. Hey, mommy, uh, uh, I know what you want, mommy. You know, and uh, and so that it's it's got a good beat, and uh, and and you know they're kids, so they look at it like mommy, you know, as opposed to mommy. So. You know what? It, it's all good. Yeah. When these kids get older and I figure it out, they're going to think you're just that much more awesome. It's like, my dad, let me listen to this stuff. And we made videos. And I, and I sang a lyric about, uh, you know, uh, to put curling your toes on a shivery tip. Um, <laughs> which, uh, uh, yeah, that happened. So, <laughs> <laughs> So, oh um, well yeah oh well but uh, but really really fun set we had a great time as usual so it's kind of like our an annual tradition now i mean i i go to maybe two concerts three concerts a year with joe uh and uh and jackie and 
um, and that's one of them, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. So, so great set. We're going to close out with a song, Hey Mommy, uh, by Sylvanesso. Uh, from their set. That was a fantastic segue. Thank you, thank you. I just want to commend you on that. That was amazing. Yeah, and uh, uh, and I don't think we'll have an episode next week. Maybe not the week after. I don't have anything else lined up right now, and I'm, I'm we've been going strong for a while, and uh, and we have um, Guitar Fish Festival coming up um, at the end of the month, where we have interviews with Conbrio uh, and a couple of other bands as well. So we'll be loading up content from that uh, so i'm not in a super rush t- might take a little concert pipeline break if i don't get anything uh, else in the meantime so if you don't hear from us don't worry we'll be back uh and we'll keep going on this push towards uh 200 episodes right hands 200 episodes i was just wondering what episode are we on now have we hit 180 yet yeah uh, we're this is 187 full no oh, dude we're that close to 200 yeah yeah 13 left so nice i told you I told you it's gonna happen. It will. So we're we're getting there. So, um, and then you probably retire and we put it on a shelf or something, right? So (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's what happens after a hundred episodes of a podcast is a co-host retires on me. So (laughs) I I, I tell you, you can't surprise me if you try pulling that one. So it's It's all good, man. It's been done. Uh, So (laughs) yes. uh, So for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, that is Jen Schiphol. And that is Steve Jones. This is Hey Mommy by Sylvanessa. We'll catch you next time. Rock on.